Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Hawaii Kai Church. It's so good to see all of you here this morning to worship our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, please open our, your Bibles up to the book of Luke, chapter 1. We're going to be reading starting in verse 46 this morning. Luke, uh, chapter 1, starting in verse 46 is our passage. Uh, this passage has often been referred to as Mary's song of praise, the Magnificat. Uh, in, uh, in Latin, that means to magnify. You know, I think there are many, many beautiful lessons that we can learn from this humble servant of the Lord, Mary. Luke chapter 1, verse 46 through 56 says this, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned home. Would you please join me for a word of prayer? Father, you are indeed holy. And we come to you this morning to worship you and to hear from you, Lord. We ask that you would come, that you would come to be with us now as we hear your word. May it be by your spirit and by the power of your spirit working in and through each and every heart of the people who are here. Lord, that you might be ministering to them, helping them, Lord, to hear your voice. That they might be assured, that they might be encouraged, that they might be motivated and even convicted, Lord, to follow you and to love you with all their hearts. We look forward to what you have for us this morning and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, before we dive into our passage this morning, I think it's uh, proper that we would give a brief overview to give you some context to help you better understand our passage today. Now, the angel Gabriel, the angel Gabriel has been, uh, he has appeared to Mary, and he's told her that though she is still a virgin, she will conceive a son by the power of the Holy Spirit, and that her son will be the long-awaited Messiah, the Savior of Israel. Now, you might imagine how shocking this news was to Mary, who some scholars think was just a teenager at this time. But in spite of this shocking and even distressing news, Mary responds with great faith. She says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And right away, we see that Mary is a humble, faithful woman who trusts in God. The angel Gabriel also told Mary that her aged relative Elizabeth, who had been barren her whole life, had also miraculously conceived a son, and she was already six months pregnant. Now, upon hearing this news, Mary, with great haste, makes a long 70 to 90-mile journey from Nazareth, from where she lived, to the hill country of Judea, where Zechariah and Elizabeth live. As Pastor Dan mentioned last week, you can only imagine that during that long four or five-day journey, Mary would have had a lot of time to think, to think about the consequences of being an unwed pregnant mother. 
And as faithful as Mary was, with all that time, she could have also started to doubt, to doubt herself, to doubt the angel's visit. Was I only dreaming? Mary could have easily turned around and went home, but she didn't. Whatever doubt, whatever fear, whatever distress she may have been under, Mary faithfully presses on. Finally, Mary arrives at Elizabeth's home, and as soon as she comes through the door, Mary barely gets her initial greeting out of her mouth when Elizabeth, who is filled with the Holy Spirit, exclaims with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Now imagine for a moment if you were Mary. Imagine the joy, the relief to hear this confirmation from your relative Elizabeth. All the pent-up excitement, the questions, the uncertainty, the distress, and perhaps even tinges of doubt, all of this pent-up emotion and feelings within Mary are suddenly released. You can almost feel Mary's relief and joy as she hears this confirmation from Elizabeth. And so what does Mary do in response to this? She breaks out in a psalm of praise and worship to her God. And so this is where we pick up our passage today, where we hear Mary's beautiful response to this confirmation of her faith. Look again at Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. From Mary's soul, She breaks forth in praise. From her spirit, she rejoices in God, her Savior. You know, when something great happens in my life, when I experience an answer to a long-sought-after prayer, my immediate response is also to praise God. I'll exclaim, praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And I'll mean it with all my heart. But what you won't hear coming from my lips, to my shame, mind you, what you won't hear is a song of praise like Mary's, a song of praise that is steeped in the Word of God. In these opening verses of Mary's song, we hear clear references back to Hannah's song of praise in 1 Samuel chapter 2, where the barren woman Hannah is praising God for the miraculous birth of her son Samuel. I'd encourage you to take a look back at 1 Samuel 2, 1 to 10 later on to see the similarities between these two songs. And so 1 Samuel 2 must have been running through Mary's mind as she breaks out in spontaneous praise to the Lord. And as we're going to see later in in our passage today, Mary's entire song is filled with the truths of Scripture, which reveals that her heart and her mind were filled with the Word of God, because the Word of God is what pours forth in her praise. Brothers and sisters, this should be a lesson for all of us. How do we respond to the joys and trials of life? Is our response grounded in God's word? I think our response will say a lot about how well we know our God. 
Take it one step further. How do you pray? How do we talk to one another on a daily basis? Are our words motivated, influenced, full, and saturated by the Word of God? As I've been pondering Mary's song of praise this week, I've been convicted, but I've also been very, very encouraged by the beautiful and Scripture-saturated faith of this young woman, Mary. But not only do we immediately see in Mary's song that her heart and mind were filled with Scripture, in this song we also see one of the great characteristics of Mary, her humility. She is a humble person who truly and fully trusts in her God. In these verses, we see that Mary recognizes that she is but a lowly servant of the Lord. She understands that in her low position, in her humble estate, she is powerless. She is helpless to save herself. And this is why she rejoices in God, who is her Savior. Mary also rejoices in the fact that in spite of her humble position, God has shown her great compassion because he has looked upon her and he has selected her amongst all the women in the entire world to become the mother of the Messiah. And it's because of this, as we see in verse 48, that she says that all future generations will call her blessed. Now, at this point, I want to take a short detour from our text because I think it's important to address this issue of Mary's blessedness. Many of us may have Catholic backgrounds or Catholic family and friends, and so I want to talk a little bit about what this passage says about Mary's blessedness. Well, first off, I think it's impossible to read these verses and think that Mary views herself as anything but a humble servant of God. She doesn't see herself as sinless or even as better or holier than anyone else. If she were here today and she could see how people venerate and worship and pray to her and how some even place her above Jesus Christ, I think she would ask these people to stop. Even though Mary was undoubtedly a faithful, godly woman, God's choice of Mary to become the mother of the Messiah is not based on her own inherent righteousness nor on her own inherent blessedness. God didn't choose Mary because she was perfect or sinless or holy. Nowhere in these verses do you understand or even sense that this is what Mary is saying. Rather, Mary is praising God because she recognizes that she has the stature of nothing more than a poor, needy servant. And in, and in spite of that, in spite of her humble position in life, it is God who is mighty and holy and has taken notice of her. It is God who has shown compassion to her. It is God who has lifted her up so that she will become the mother of the Messiah. And again, not because of her own righteousness, but because of God's gracious work in her life. In Mary's own words, she magnifies the Lord because he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. Throughout her song, Mary is going to magnify God's name even as she emphasizes her own humble estate. Now, even though I'm stressing the point that Mary would never consider herself holy, divine, or on par with Jesus Christ, she was nonetheless a very faithful, godly woman who knew her God. Remember the angel angel Gabriel back in verse 28, how he addressed Mary with these words, greetings, 
O favored one. The Lord is with you. And so getting back to our text, let's go back to our discussion of Mary's humility. And I want to emphasize this here because I think humility is such a critical yet sometimes missing element in the lives of Christians. And we can learn something very important about true godly humility from Mary. Now, most of us here, we're probably very humble to those outside us as we interact with other people. I think most people are like this. But I think one of the true tests of our humility is not how we act in front of other people, but how we respond to God and his word. Do we, like Mary, consider ourselves servants of the Lord? You see, a servant listens to and obeys his master. When a master tells the servant to do something, the servant does it. There's no excuses. There's no hemming and hawing. There's no bargaining. A person who is truly humble before the Lord responds to God like Mary did. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. So how does your humility before God stack up against your obedience to him? How is your humility shown through your obedience? Are we truly humble servants of God? I think that's the bigger question here when it comes to whether or not we are humble people. We need to be humble before the Lord. I think that's godly humility. The scriptures, which Mary knew so well, are filled with how God views the prideful and the humble. Let me read you just a few. In Proverbs 11, it says, When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. In Proverbs 16, we are told, Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. In Proverbs 29, One's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. And in James 4, 6, we are told, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You know, I believe our passage today shows that Mary undoubtedly understood this very, very well. In Mary, we can see her high, in, in Mary, we can see how her high view of God, and by comparison, her humble view of herself was made so evident in how she lived. While Mary's soul magnifies or enlarges the Lord, at the same time she acknowledges that she is but a humble servant. This is what we see in Mary a humility that flows from her recognition of the greatness of her God. And the same thing applies to us. The more we magnify the Lord in our lives, the smaller we become. The more we enlarge God in our lives, the less we think of ourselves, the less time we spend thinking of ourselves. So think about your own humility before the Lord. Do you truly see him for who he is? Is he magnified in your life? Does he fill your thoughts, your heart, and your mind? And on the flip side, do you see yourself as Mary did, as a humble servant of God? As we see from our passage, on the one hand, Mary fully understood and recognized the greatness and holiness of her God. And on the other hand, Mary's life was characterized by humility. I don't think this is an accident. I think the two go hand in hand. Similar to John the Baptist, 
Jesus must increase and we must decrease. Now, true to Mary's humility, she understands that she is not unique or special to receive God's blessing. And we see this as we move on to verse 50. Mary now shifts the focus of her song away from herself and then onto every other person for all time who fears the Lord. Look at verse 50. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Here we begin to see in even greater detail the depth of Mary's understanding of God. Mary knew that God shows mercy and grace, not just to her, but to all who fear him. If you need an example of what it means to fear God, look at Mary. Fearing God means to stand in awe and wonder at God's power and holiness, and yet to also recognize that God is merciful and gracious to save. Mary knew from the scriptures that everyone who feared God in this way, from generation to generation, those who feared God would receive mercy from God, just as she had received mercy. Mary understood this, and therefore she includes this in her song of praise. Now, how does Mary know all of this? Well, it's because, as we've already mentioned, Mary had a deep understanding of God's word. Ligon Duncan says that Mary models for us in her song of praise a mind that is saturated with the scriptures. Now, let's look at verses 51 to 53 to get a, get a better idea of this. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Although these are not direct quotes, Mary is alluding to many of the Psalms, including Psalm 22, 25, 44, 89, 98, 103, 111, and 147. There are also references back to Job and Jeremiah. And going back to the very beginning of Mary's song, remember how she alluded to 1 Samuel's, Hannah's song in 1 Samuel chapter 2. And so what jumps out to us from this passage is that Mary knew the word of God. Going back to the quote from Ligon Duncan, Mary models for us a mind that is saturated with the scriptures. Now you may be wondering, how was Mary able to do this? How was she able to remember all this? I have a hard time remembering even one verse. How could Mary know so much about the scriptures? Surely someone else, maybe Luke, maybe he embellished this, maybe he had written it for her. I don't believe that. I don't believe that at all. I believe that Mary knew the word of God because she was taught it and she was trained in it. She was saturated by the scriptures from the time she was a child. Listen to what it says in Deuteronomy 6. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now I'm going to assume that not every Jewish family followed the commands of Deuteronomy 6 just like this. But I'm also going to assume that God would have chosen Mary 
because he knew her and he knew that she knew him. And based on passages like Deuteronomy 6, it's not hard to see that knowing God and knowing the scriptures was ingrained into the Jewish culture in ways that we do not see very often here in the 21st century America. Now, dads and moms, these words from Deuteronomy can be very convicting, can't they? At least they are for me. But convicting or not, I think it is healthy for our family's sake to be asking ourselves the following questions based on Deuteronomy 6. What is being written on the hearts of your children today? What are you diligent about teaching your children? What do you talk to them about when you sit in your house or walk by the way before you go to bed and when you wake up in the morning? What do you keep reminding them of? What do you keep ever before their eyes? Well, by God's grace, I hope it's God's word. You know, I think our children have stored up here a lot of things. Their minds are filled with tons and tons of information. But the question is, what kind of information? Again, hopefully, a big portion of it is the Word of God. Now, as we look at the life of Mary, what we learn, and I want to encourage the young teenagers with us today, what we learn from Mary is that a young person can indeed learn and know the Word of God very, very extensively, and they can live their lives accordingly. Hebrews 4 tells us that the Word of God is living and active. The Word of God changes the way you live. And so what I'd like to encourage all of us to do, no matter how old we are today, is to read the Word of God every day. Set aside a specific time for 20 or 30 minutes, a time for one TV show, and instead of turning on the TV or firing up Netflix, read the Bible It will do wonders for your soul and spirit. And if you have children, encourage them to do the same. Set aside a time, once a week at least. Read the word with them and discuss it with them. For as Paul told his young disciple Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped, for every good work. As a church, let's be all about God's word. Let's encourage one another and center our lives around the scriptures. I believe this is what Mary did. So let's learn from Mary. Now, as we look back at verses 51 to 53, we also see that it's not just that Mary knew the word of God, but we start to understand more Clearly, what did she actually know about God? What filled Mary's mind about God that gave her such hope and created in her such a faithful, humble heart, I think is revealed in these passages. Let me read for you again verses 50 to 53. 
and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. What we see in verses 50 to 53 are two pictures. The first picture shows us how God deals with those who do not fear him. These will not receive mercy, but instead they will be scattered, they will be brought down, they will be sent away empty. Mary knew that God, true to his word in the Proverbs, hates the proud in heart. These are those who would deny God and exalt themselves and in the process oppress the poor and needy. And Mary could look back at scripture and see example after example of this. Pharaoh, Nebuchadnezzar, Ahab, and Jezebel, and so many other kings and leaders who forsook God and were ultimately punished and destroyed. But on the flip side, the other picture is that of those who feared God. For these people, God's mercy would be upon them from generation to generation, and for them, God will show the strength of his arm and will exalt those of humble estate and will fill the hungry with good things. Now Mary understood this about her God. She understood his character and his power, which enabled her to have such hope and allowed her to bring forth such a song of praise in spite of, in spite of not only her personal low circumstances, but also in spite of the darkness in the world that was around her. You see, Mary had some pretty big personal problems. The prospect of Joseph leaving her because, because she's now pregnant and her eventually becoming a single, unwed mother in a religion and a culture where that would mean shame, ostracism, uncertain future, and possibly even death. That's what this young woman was facing. But as we can see in her song, Mary understood that it wasn't just about her personal problems. She was also living in one of the lowest points in all of Israel's history, the Jewish nation had been occupied by the Romans with a ruthless and evil king, King Herod, to rule over them. It had been hundreds and hundreds of years since God had spoken to the people through one of their prophets. And the religion of her time was more about law and ritual and regulations than about true worship. And yet, in the midst of all of this darkness, the focus of Mary's song is not on her personal trials, or on the darkness that is all about her, the focus of her song is on God and his word. It's on his power, his character, and on the hope that he will be the one to one day make things right. And herein lies another lesson that we learn from Mary. For we too are living in a very dark time. We're in the midst of a global pandemic. Our political and educational systems, our entertainment, and our society as a whole is moving rapidly away from biblical truth. Great divisions are forming between races and political parties, even genders. Our society seems to be ripping itself apart through riots and violence that are erupting around the nation. What's going on? Well, we're living in a very dark time. But here's the truth that I believe Mary knew and one that I want us to think about today. Has God changed? 
Does God and his word ever change? Is God any less great now than he was 2,000 years ago? Is he any less merciful to those who fear him? No, absolutely not. The Bible tells us God is the same yesterday and today and forever. He is as great today as he was when he created the universe. He is as great today as he was when he parted the Red Sea to set the people free from Egypt. He is as great today as when he sent his son to be born of the Virgin Mary. And he is as great today as he, when he sent that same son to die on the cross for our sins. That same great God is the same God that we know today. This is what I think we should talk about and think about today. Even as we contemplate the darkness all around us, don't focus on the darkness. Focus on the greatness of your God. God doesn't change. He is still in control. He is still as sovereign over the proud and ungodly as he has always been. And his promises will never fail. Mary understood this. And this idea of the faithful promises of God is the high note, the crescendo on which Mary is going to end her song. Look at verse 54 to 56. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. In these verses, Mary is referring back to the covenant God had made with Abraham all the way back in the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible. She's magnifying God in her song because she knows that the promises made long ago to Abraham are now being fulfilled in the very child which she will be carrying in her womb. Mary understands that she will be the mother of the promised Messiah. And so she is linking the covenant promises that were made to Abraham to the miraculous events that are now occurring in her life. And she has realized, she's realized that God has remembered and he has fulfilled his promises. Our God is faithful. And so the final thing that we learn from Mary today is that we need to remember. We need to lay hold of, to lean on, and to trust in God's promises. That God has sent his son into the world to save us from our sins. Mary's son would be born and grow to live a perfect sinless life so that one day, some 30 years later, though he was innocent, he would die a cruel death on a cross. And he would die not because he deserved death, but because he chose to take our sins upon himself and to die in our place. And now for everyone who places their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, who believes and trusts that Jesus is their Savior and Lord, to them, God promises everlasting life. Are you like Mary today? Do you believe God's word and the promises that he has made? If so, and if you're not a believer, then repent of your sins and trust in Christ. But if you are a believer, 
then rejoice. Rejoice and rest and be at peace and trust in the one who is faithful to his promises. Now our passage ends with these words in verse 56. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Now whether Mary stayed until John the Baptist was born to Elizabeth or not, we don't know. We're not sure exactly when she returned home or why. The Bible doesn't say. All we know is that after three months, she returned home, setting the stage for what's coming next week, which is the birth of John the Baptist. You don't want to miss that. Be here. And so as we wrap up our teaching for today, let me ask you this. What is the content of your song? Is your soul magnifying the Lord? And is your spirit rejoicing in God your Savior? Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you. We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for what your word by the power of your Holy Spirit can do within our hearts and minds to help us, to help us to see you for who you truly are, that you are there, that you are a God whom we worship, that you are a God who helps us to see what true humility is, that you are a God who helps us to rejoice in the promises that you have made to us. Lord, I pray that by your spirit you would continue to be with us even as we leave this place. Help us, Father, to reflect on who you are. Help us, Lord, to rejoice in who you are. We love you so much. We thank you and we praise you and we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.